your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan, the three amigos, the three musketeers, back together again today to discuss Everton crashing out of the third round of the FA Cup. 3-1 against Manchester United at Old Trafford. That makes it just one win in 30 for the Toffees at Old Trafford. A disappointing defeat against a flying United side who've won 10 of their last 11 games. It was the poor early goal inside five minutes that made us think there was absolutely no chance. Connor Cody winning one back, bringing us level before the half, and then putting us down with the own goal. And then the soft penalty for the cherry on top, guys. We will get into the full match reaction and talk about Similar to the last match, what the heck are Everton going to do next? Before we do that, just a reminder that if you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to follow us on social media, links in the description, link tr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod, and join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. Let's get into it, guys. We've got a lot to discuss, so kick it off with instant match reactions. And Alex, glad to have you back on the show, man. You can kick us off with your instant reaction. Yeah, I've got Matt S at Matt Stan 11. He said, I think we found our formation. Frank needs to stick with it and drill the roles and responsibilities. Awobi's injury is very concerning due to our reliance on his creativity. Pretty much wraps it up uh, for me in terms of how I felt. And obviously, you've all probably heard me say roles and responsibilities about 10 times this month. So um, I thought that was pretty fitting for mine. That's a good one. I went with Garrett Post at Parrot Ghost. The only thing the board did by putting pressure on this performance was get a Wobi injured. Huge loss. Anything but three points against Southampton and Frank must go. Simple as that for me. I mean, the, the situation with how much pressure is Frank under, what status is his job at, does it hinge on one game or not? We'll definitely get into a more robust discussion on that later on in the episode, but uh, certainly doesn't look good. And another loss for Everton does not help things very much, despite, you know, wasn't the worst performance we've seen. It certainly was better than the Brighton match. Uh, Ryan, your thoughts. What did you go with for your reaction? I think the most important thing right now is the the decision on Lampard. And so so I took the um, at Patrick Ridge. Patrick definitely knows his footy. And I like his point here. And I think it's critical. He says, either sack Lampard and get a new manager in before the next two games or back him and make signings in the next week. They're needed regardless of the manager and the positions they are needed in will not change regardless of the manager. To a certain extent, I think that's correct. Um, the decision needs to be made now. I, I don't. I don't see any other option for that. It seems all strange to me that. I mean, Frank has had enough body work here at Everton that you should know whether you think he's the right manager or not. And I don't think there's been a massive difference in terms of the market for manager. There are plenty of guys out there, um, unless you're counting on. David Moyes getting fired at West Ham or Graham Potter being pushed out at, at Chelsea, um, which that doesn't seem like a good hope is not usually a good strategy, nor necessarily would those guys be not against Graham Potter, of course, but those guys would kind of make a lot of sense. That That's my take. So I, I like that take. It's not about the match, but, you know, that's kind of where we're at. Indeed. And as you know, we'll get into that discussion in a lot more detail. We do have, I think, potentially a record number of correct score predictions for a loss. Uh, seems like the Discord is finally getting on board with the current state of the club. We had six, I think. We had Suburban Guy, Second City, St. Louisan, Shane, Cam Lizza, NTX Blue 1878, and Everton Evertonian Optimist who I think just absolutely nailed this one. He said, 3-1 United, but we will have our best performance in months. Frank changes the system significantly, and it works. Still gets sacked before Monday. Don't know about that last piece, but there wasn't, of course, a system change. And it was maybe one of the better performances we've seen in recent times. So let's get right into it, guys. Wind it back. Lineups for both sides, starting with Manchester United, who, as I said at the top, are in quite good form at the moment. They are. Uh, it's an all-new back line, though, from last match, and, and kind of strange that Luke Shaw has been shifted into left-center back. Um, but I think Manchester figured that Everton are not really in form, and this isn't going to be the toughest game. So <gasps> I think uh, putting Alessandro Martinez in there was probably not not something they wanted to risk, I suppose. Um, 
Rashford's been playing well. He's the danger man. I think the the obvious matchups there are Anthony and Rashford in the wide spaces. And um, Christian Eriksen, Casemiro is kind of a weird combination there, but they kind of move Eriksen around to kind of support their team. And he's on the ball a lot. Yeah, we saw that today too. And as mentioned, Everton changed their uh, structure quite a bit this week, although, you know, a lot of fans were calling for it and liked the performances. Uh, previously in this 5-3-2 setup, we had the back line you'd expect. Cody in the middle of the center backs, Tarkovsky and Godfrey left and right. Seamus Coleman had to come in at right wing, wing back, uh, clearly because of the Nathan Patterson injury, which is going to be six weeks. Onana ended up sitting uh, quite a bit in the middle, more so as a six, which you know we kind of discussed before. We thought that would be like the best role for him and probably for the team in terms of a setup. Awobi was right. On the right side, which I know was driving Ryan absolutely nuts. We got his every single match day tweet at the beginning of the uh, lineup drop. And we had Mope playing up top with Damari Gray. You know, Damari Gray was kind of all over the place throughout the match in regards to his position. But all in all, um, you know, a, a very strong lineup considering the circumstances. And we'll obviously discuss how, how those decisions, you know, affect the club and the team moving forward. The problem is people didn't understand the player before he got here. Okay. I'm not going to make this a bigger rant than it needs to be. If you did, you understand he's a left-sided player. He could play a 10 sometimes, but in Arsenal, he was a left winger and he was incredibly productive, incredibly creative from open play. So what did Frank do? He finally moved him into the left center mid position, dropped down a little deeper, more so like he plays it in Nigeria. He was very comfortable. His whole entire orientation needs to be on the left. It opens up the entire pitch. When you put him on the right, he's no goal threat whatsoever. And we have no right wing for him to play to anyway. Like this isn't that complicated to me and so you look all right he had a whole Everton career where he's mostly played on the right truly and that was it Carlo played him on the right all the time and I don't blame him for that because he had no other options which he actually did okay under Carlo and you criticize his production then he shows up on the left with Frank most of the time or playing as a 10 and now suddenly you think he's great he moves out to the right and he's not as good anymore so the setup is this way it's it's 5-3-2 Alex is right Onana sitting a little bit deeper it's a little bit strange, though. It kind of morphed a little bit because Gray was leaning out almost to the left to make it a 5-4-1 at times. So it was similar to how he set up against City, but n- not exactly the same. And yeah, you're dealing with uh, Christian Eriksen roaming around a lot. Now, Marshall's role is really interesting, too, at Man United. I mean, he had 37 touches in the first half. I mean, he was dropping deeper constantly. Um, and really, the issue is, too, you know, like we were attacking down the right side the, the whole match 46% of the time. Why? Because of Wobies out there? Again, playing out of position with Seamus Coleman. And so, like, we got totally out of kilter at times. You had, like, Seamus Coleman pushed way up, but Mikalinko way deep. And so Gray was kind of pushed up there. And it's okay to be asymmetrical, but I thought the spacing was a little awkward. Uh, United was very balanced. But look, the bottom line is what United was trying to do the whole time. And they push players up big time when they're in possession. I mean, they've got four or five guys that are lined up with our five um, they were trying to get the ball to, to Anthony and, and Rashford. And basically their matchups were against Mikalinko and Coleman, which, I mean, that was, I mean, if you really had to point out one kind of tactical element today is that those were the battles and those are the matchups and those are the ones we lost. And ultimately Frank said as much in the presser afterwards saying there was quality from Rashford and, and, and that's it. I mean, Rashford Coleman matchup, not the Patterson would have been any better. But that's just quality versus not quality. No offense to Seamus at this point. And that's at least how I saw it. I don't know if you guys saw it similar. No, I mean, you could tell they were basically force feeding their wide players. And that's an easy recipe to break down Everton at the moment. Because even with Patterson there, you're going to have a lot of success. With Coleman there, it's even easier. And Mikolenko looks as bad as he has in a blue shirt over the last few games. Um, But before we get into the timeline and we'll talk about all the goals and the injuries and the cards and whatnot... Before we do that, just want to break for a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back and into the timeline of the match we go. And the beginning was not the best for Everton. And I think the uh, Manchester United score in about the third minute in some change and in almost embarrassing fashion, really. Um, Rashford takes the ball wide. We've got numbers here. Godfrey stays with him somewhat. He gets cross off, but he pushes him wide. It's it's a fairly innocuous position to have a ball, even though it is deep and close to the touchline. And then kind of a comedy of errors, really. Cody backing up, backing up, backing up, keeping keeping Anthony on side. Um, Mikalenko makes the opposite mistake as what he what he made against Brighton. He instead of cutting back to the spot. 
he actually goes with the player on the far post. Or actually, maybe that is exactly what he did last week. The point is, it's a mistake. And he's the farthest, the deepest guy. He knows that. No one's checking their shoulders. Tark doesn't really react either. And the ball gets played straight across. And um, Anthony taps it in. It's just no excuse to me for a a tap-in, considering the situation. And it's just, um, it's indicative of... Of that back line, which is about as close to a train wreck as you can get at this point. Yeah, it was not. A, it was not a fun start by any means, and I think it really is about the context, as you said, like the comedy of errors. It's not like there was some piece of quality that you know sometimes you just got to shrug your shoulder at or any sort of unluckiness at all. And and also the most alarming part was just the indecisiveness across the board. Like it's it's almost like we essentially just said four out of the five, and and only Seamus wasn't included because he wasn't there yet. Uh, essentially couldn't decide what to do and didn't address the situation properly. So not a great start to the game and also pretty alarming, especially after last week. Um, but also it's important to mention that, you know, the rest of the conversation in context of starting this poorly, you know, may shape a different look at how the match, you know, progressed. Yeah. And it, you know, to some extent it's okay. We've have played a decent amount of three at the back, five at the back this season. You'd expect them to be more well-drilled on something as simple as maintaining a defensive line, and they're not. And that is a huge red flag and a major concern. Um, And it almost got twice as bad just a couple minutes later. Rashford has a really good chance off of Jordan Pickford's foolish giveaway. We're almost down 2-0 inside of 10 minutes. Rashford just misses the chance. Um, But then things maybe started to turn for the better slightly Damari Gray finds himself in a little bit of space and fires a pretty dangerous shot that is uh, a decent save from David De Gea there. I thought it went in. Um, I did too. It kind of rattled. It was very strange. Um, it certainly surprised him. Gray loves picking out the far post. But every now and then, if you're on your strong foot and you kind of cut your hips a little quickly and you hit the near post, you can catch keepers. And he almost did. Um, again, mostly a solo effort. Uh, I mean, we did have the ball deep, which was nice. Um, and then somehow we break through and I, I don't even know how to really describe this goal. It's clearly a big mistake by David De Gea. Um, almost an offsides into the play. That's, that's the buildup. And then it kind of cuts back out. And, um, I, I mean, a lot of credit to Neil Mope for working his tail off here. The fact that Cody is the one who scored though, is just makes it all more bizarre, but, but truly the play here was the challenge and the through ball by Onana and the hustle by the moped. Yeah, it's a, it's a ridiculous goal. Um, more comical than the one we conceded. De Gea forgets that he can use his arms to pick the ball up. It slips through his legs. The reaction time's slow. As you said, Ryan, Onana phenomenal to shield Casemiro off the ball. Mopai from that angle has no business doing anything and it really shouldn't have come to much. Cody pounces on it. We're level. We have no business being level really, but we find ourselves level and okay, game on. They're giving us hope for some strange reason. I had hope. I had optimism at this point. Foolish of me as I don't know, man. I mean, United I should have scored here a couple minutes later. I mean, th- this is one of the worst defensive plays of the whole match where was it Rashford just running with the ball and Godfrey never reacts to him. He just kind of runs with them. And I, I just it, this is part of it is not understanding how to function in a back three. I mean, if Cody's going to sit back and do nothing the entire match and never step up, the, the other guys have to be aggressive and they have to know whether they have cover and and. He just walks with him, and Pickford makes a very nice save, but this is almost a point-blank shot from not a bad angle in the 16th here. And, and and I'm thinking, that's how you respond? I mean, get it together, guys. And then kind of the rest of the half played out a couple moments. I mean, how about the yellow card on Bruno Fernandes? I mean, that's a he's a dirty player, man. I mean, he really he is. is. Yeah, he's definitely the rat boy. My, my, my buddy Doug will... Shout out to him. Hopefully he hears that one. <laughs> but uh, no, and I was thinking in that moment too, like actually what I texted my buddies were, you know, Godfrey was showing way too much respect to Rashford at that moment in time. Well, through that moment in time, right? You know, it almost felt like he was too afraid to get close. And he, and, he was hesitant, right? Yeah, Alex? no, I mean, exactly. That's, and, and a, he was a afraid of getting burned. Gar- right. And a hesitant really. Ben Godfrey is like the worst thing you can have because that's his that's his strong suit. Yeah, and, and that's what I was about to say too. Like his athleticism, he if anyone in the squad is best positioned to address Rashford, like it's that guy. So, you know, that was kind of the first half thoughts. And, um, you know, as you said, Bruno, you know, kind of stamping down on what looked like Onana's, you know, Achilles essentially was not a very good look at all for, for us and our prospects, obviously. 
dirty play, dirty player, and thankfully it didn't seem to be anything serious. But the way he, you know, the incredulous look he gives the referee after that, like it's not a foul. I know every player does it, but with him it just feels extra smarmy and dirty and disgusting. It's a cheat. I mean, he's trying to cheat. I mean, that's what he does, and he's done it for a long time. And he's a super talented player. doesn't need to be that way. And I think he was frustrated because he wasn't getting the ball much, to be perfectly honest. Um, Erickson then makes a wonderful play kind of off the sidelines where he cuts in into the half space and – you know, he's he's about at the near post, just outside the 18, and he curls a ball in that does not miss by much. And I don't know how you guys felt. I felt like we got in a halftime. We were fairly lucky that the score was what it was. I mean, it, it, it really, I think, probably should have been a little bit worse. And, and I couldn't help but think, you know, maybe we were a little fortunate and... But curious how we were going to respond. Um, I mean, the numbers are fairly one-sided in, in United's way. Yeah, I mean, 10 to 2 in shots. They had 56% possession. A couple dribbles. We won five aerials to their one. 12 tackles to their eight. Um, they had a number of shots. And yeah, as you said, Ryan, probably should have scored more. And, you know, the way we scored to be to, to the fact that we were even were level at half was definitely a stroke of luck. But we go into halftime and the eternal question, as you know, Ryan, you've mentioned several times is, you know, are we going to come out better in the second half than we were in the first? And that's been a continual struggle for Everton this season. Um, I think most people would say we did look better in the second half. Um, right kinda. away, though, like <laughs> I, I think eventually we did. But right off the bat, I didn't think we came out. Uh, good at all at least my opinion i, I don't know that's if fair no i agree with that I but agree. I, that's the moment though like that's it man you got to be ready to go with with something different that's the thing like frank has had a couple moments where we didn't play well in the first half and he adjusted accordingly where we've really struggled is where we played well in the first half and then the other team has made adjustments and he really failed so i, I had some slight optimism that we might come out and um you know and sure enough they got us in isolated one v one matchups again, you know, and then this time it was Rashford versus Coleman, which just—I mean, th- this goal was just pure comedy, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, he rinses Coleman, swings the cross in, Cody slides for it, and it just goes straight into the back of the net past Pickford. Um, you know, it—it it is a comedy, right? Especially after he's the one that you know, probably the lowest odds ever to be the tap in right next to David de Gea on the other end of the pitch, and you know, again, like he was the one that kept. Uh, Anthony on side in the first play so you're kind of thinking he giveth and he also taketh away by the way he probably doesn't score in the first half if if Luke Shaw isn't like is an <laughs> actual center half like there's no way you let someone beat you to that ball I mean that was I mean don't get me wrong now maybe if the ball looked like a meatball or something Luke Shaw would be the first one on it um <laughs> sorry uh that was too easy I actually think Luke Shaw is a pretty good football player but he does have the, kind of the Phil Kessel bad body type going on um hot dogs yeah yeah, hot dogs that's right god toronto fans hate him uh sorry north american toffees but yeah and and i think this is a disappointment too because you thought hey we got some benefit of the doubt here maybe we'll come out and really play pretty well but i'll say this i think we responded fairly well uh in response to the goal because a team could really have gone down and said woe is us this stinks. Nothing's going right for us. And it's true. Um, but Everton didn't do that. And I think deserves a little credit for responding somewhat. Yeah, this really at any point, you know, conceding both goals going down twice. If there's any team that could put their hands up and say, woe is us. Uh, it's certainly Everton Football Club. But in the 63rd, Mikolenko, man, he almost gets on the end of this one. It takes a little bit of a slight deflection before it gets to him, it looked like. But that would have been a nice one to have, and it was a pretty decent bit of build-up play. Um, I mean, you fast forward, the 73rd is where everyone's hearts kind of get ripped out because we see a really, really brilliant bit of build-up play. Dominic Calvert-Lewin with like the overhead flick that finds Damari Gray, who ultimately was offside, but he makes a great run forward, plays it in, and Dom using his body really well to put it in the back of the net. We think we're level. The treacherous VAR comes in and rips it out of our hands, and we're down a goal yet again. Yeah, it was a, it was a really you know exciting bit of interplay, and you know I think that's that's a perfect example of when we saw Everton were able to move the ball um, you know effectively forward in those situations where they were out wide interchanging. You know uh, the midfielders were in a good position to receive the ball, and you know the fullbacks did good work, especially there. And I mean Gray was kind of the one that set it up with a nice touch, I think, to begin with. Um, so. You know, unfortunate, it felt like it was, you know, it's kind of what we wanted. And if I'm not mistaken, 
you know, Awobi was down injured prior to that and Decore comes in. So it was one of those moments where you kind of feel like we really, really, really need, you know, this 2-2 at this point in time. You know, maybe we can be, you know, we can feel a little vindicated for however that situation pans out. But clearly it did not work out that way. And it really just felt like a gut punch. Yeah, we could defer the discussion to, to the Wobi injury here in a second, but it was a critical moment, but the team responded to that as well. I thought Decore came in and made a big difference. And then there was a very interesting sub, I think, in the 81st. Uh, Mikalinko was not having the best match. And frankly, in this setup, I, I don't think is a very natural player. I'm a little surprised he didn't start out with Finagre today. I mean, does that loan have a point? I, I, Clearly not. I guess- I guess not. And I mean, I don't think you could just get rid of it and get another loan. I think you're you're limited to four total. So I, I don't I don't think you get a redo on that one, unfortunately. So I don't think he's going anywhere. But we saw we saw Dwight McNeil come in to play left wing back. And we said on the pod when we kind of deconstructed how we could look if we needed to score and we were playing the back three. And we, we thought that I mean, I, I really like Dwight Neal eventually is in a in a more progressive team and a more possession-based team to play on the right side but in this case in this setup we need a goal he's very dangerous from that side and and now he can do a little more of some of the things that he did at Burnley where he was deeper and was trying to cross the ball um and the big change here was obviously Dominic Calvert-Lewin coming in because that changes the dynamic up front very much yeah and, and Gordon also comes in at you know right wing back as well too and it's not surprising. I mean, McNeil and Gordon both have defensive capabilities. Maybe, you know, some wide players don't. Obviously, McNeil, we've seen him more on the left. I mean, excuse me, on the right when he's come in, you know, for some sub minutes previously. But in all actuality, he was defending so much. He was kind of already operating in that space of the field in terms of, you know, position up the pitch, too. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, clearly, again, that works perfect with Dominic Carolyn. I thought it was I thought it was funny that, you know, right when we sub in McNeil and Gordon and obviously DCL, United make their two changes for uh, McGuire and McTominay. They clearly realized the plan was going to be cross and pray for the last 15. And uh, obviously, you know, in the end, they dealt with that well. Yeah, and I can't say there was ever a moment where we really served one in and it was dangerous. That was kind of the funny part. But the spacing... And the pace of Gordon and some of the other things did give them some trouble. And, and McNeil, although he's very predictable on his left foot, did get the ball a couple times deeper and, and drew a corner and had some level of effectiveness. I, I do think the shape was better in attacking standpoint, but you still, I mean, if you do that, you still have that back line. I mean, I, I don't, yeah. what do you do with it? I do just have to say the one play where McNeil has it in the final third and he tries to beat the defender with his left foot like four times in a row with the exact same fake move and it doesn't work at all any at any point i thought he was trying to get the corner honestly he did get a corner though i think he did did, yeah i thought he thought he was gonna get the corner like the first time and then he's like (laughs) i'll I'll do it again and he's stuck because he's dead in the corner right so he's not gonna go around him to the left um yeah i wanted to see him go to the right a little bit you know he's not a small guy too just lean in a little but he did get the corner it was kind of funny though how how left-footed oriented he he he, he is, there. man. But well, he and I, I yeah. don't mind that as long as it's just an orientation. But in that particular instance, he's basically forced to get the corner, right, or nothing. Um, yeah, you know, there was also a play that just totally encapsulated, uh, I think, some of the issues we have, where Ben Godfrey comes flying back and makes this phenomenal tackle, right. And it's classic Ben Godfrey, where he's just flying. He shows his pure athleticism, borderline thing of beauty, great. But that's going to be what people remember from this match from Ben Godfrey. And that's what I feel like it was two years ago when people were like, oh, he's the, he's the player of the season. Never mind the fact that he had five turnovers. As a center half, like, you can't lose the ball five times. And, and a lot of it was him rushing forward, which we thought he might have some ability to do. But the touches were so heavy. I, I think part of this is fitness, though. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a fair thing to say, right? I mean, he hasn't been playing. Um, and to play this many minutes is definitely different. But then he tries to make the exact same move in the 95th. And, well, put it this way. I, I, I don't think this is a penalty. I think it's a ludicrous call. Um, he maybe puts his arm on him early. That has nothing to do with when he went down. The player just flops. He just completely goes down. I didn't see any, the, the announcers are like, oh, there's clearly contact. With I know, right? Oh, what are they God. talking about? I didn't what see they, they, they like touched, they, He literally touched his pinky toe to the other guy's foot, right? Like there, there was no, He didn't undercut his legs. 
You know, they might have like literally just played footsies, but that's about it. It was, it it was shoulder to shoulder. Fall, though. No, right? it was he, shoulder to shoulder. There was no issue. Garnacho was falling. You know, he had a he had a tough time, I think, physically when he came on in general, too. But that was just kind of the icing on the cake as far as, you know, how our luck went. Right. Oh, yeah. Onana just absolutely nailed him with his yellow. Ra- yeah. Onana had a couple questionable tackles. He did. But he also got nailed several times, too. So, you know, I'm, I'm very happy he didn't get hurt because he was down at one point. Gray was down at one point on an awkward fall, and I'm thinking, oh, my heavens to dear Lord, what is going on here? And then, obviously, losing a Wobie was a problem. But, look, Rashford slots the penalty away. Um, Matt Clevy, his quote was, also, pillowy, pillowy, soft, cottonelle pen. We'd never get it. And VAR can kick rocks. Subscribe. Yeah, I want to call. <laughs> I, I want to keep calling him like Gaspacho or Gardetto or like something that's not his actual name, but it's it's Garnacho, and he was looking for the softest of calls, pretty much from the first second that he came on the pitch. Um, but it it gets awarded a penalty, doesn't get reviewed. Three one cherry on top of a miserable outing with some positives to take from it. But I think you know, as we said. At halftime, was the second half better? No, not at the start, but as the half wore on, we improved and we finished in the second half five to four in shots, still in favor of United, but a little bit better. 60-40 possession in favor of United. But, but I actually thought that was better because I felt like we committed to playing off the counter and did yes. it well. Now, I, I really don't think this is that type of team, honestly, because I don't think that was Frank's intent. And he brought in some guys that I, I don't think really match that way of playing. Um, but if Awobi's not there and you've got Decorey in there, he probably does. At least I felt like we had somewhat of an identity there for a while. And at times it can be effective, but it's not effective if you're giving up goals. That's the thing. Like, it's got to start in the back that you're not giving up anything. You create a couple chances off the break and maybe you do a smash and grab. That's it. But you cannot be given up goals and we once again gave up three hashtag analysis giving up goals is bad folks in that's case right you didn't know that's why Scoring well no actually team. actually it's not because people have come and said our defensive record's great we haven't given up that many goals yes right, yeah we of stink course. We yeah, know. We, yeah okay like please go look at a metric please that is better at predicting the future and every one of them says that our defense is actually worse than our attack. Um, I don't know how we solved that. But yeah, second half was better. The numbers looked different. Um, there were some good performances, I thought. There were a couple standouts. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go first with mine, and that would be Onana for this one. As mentioned, you know, he played definitely more of the sixth role. I liked, you know, from the jump that, you know, United were definitely pressuring us, as a lot of teams do. Um, he was showing for the ball consistently. I thought he had some pretty good work in tight spaces. He kept the ball ticking, you know, 85% pass accuracy, a key pass. Four tackles, you know, some of them were pretty impressive. I remember one specifically, a slide tackle from essentially behind, uh, kind of near the top of the box for him. A clearance, a block, zero dispossessions. I remember also it was hilarious watching him spin Casemiro at the top of the box, um, at the top of United's box. Uh, only two bad touches. I think this is the right role for him. I think it's probably best um, for the team in general and Hopefully we'll see more of it to come. Yeah, he's just so confident in the tackle. Like he'll, he'll go full tilt into it, down to the ground, and, and do some really nice things. My good was the substitute of Dula Decore. Um, if you didn't know, he still kind of got it. He's still a pretty decent player. He was three for four in tackles and a little less than a full half of play. One key pass, 18 for 19 in passes, two fouls, and of course he picked up the yellow, which I thought was maybe a little bit cheap, but... Um, you know, the, the sad thing with the Decore appearance is that he didn't have to come on for Alex Awobi, who was stretchered off and did, I think, as well as could be expected, trying to replicate a similar role for Alex. You know, he was trying to push forward. He did carry the ball a decent amount um, and was trying to make something happen in the final third, which, you know, he can do from time to time, certainly not to the same level of Alex Awobi. Um, and we had C. Griff, Casey Griffin, who gave us this comment. One thing on the match, turns out Decore is still good. Love to know why Lampard refuses to play him more and the fans get on him because of one warm-up, question mark. He's probably upset because he isn't playing for no obvious reason. Um, and then I had a tweet after the Awobi injury basically saying, like, there's no way that Decore is going anywhere now if Alex Awobi's out for any s- sustained period of time. I mean, I didn't think it made a lot of sense. And Ryan, we kind of hit on it last episode, like who the heck's going to play in midfield if decorey has gone. But now if a out for even a month, 
there's no possible way we can let DeCorey go, right? We shouldn't. Um, much in the same way is that Abdullah DeCorey did not suddenly get to be a bad football player. Um, but people want to create mythology around players and make them feel good if they're going to leave, I guess. I, there's this sector of the fan base that I just cannot get my head around that like suddenly, magically, these guys can't play, which is not true. I mean, never. No, no rational person would think that either. Uh, no, he can't go. Ha- I mean, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. Um, and to be perfectly honest, those three are tough to play through. If you're going to put Onana, Ghana, and Decore, and you're going to play this five-three-two, those guys can play it. And I don't think Decore is as hopeless going forward into the final third as some others. Uh, we've seen him play in a more advanced role at Watford and do fairly well. And and I think Alex, you're right too. Onana really has grown into that role in possession. He he still has some issues, I think, with his dis- defensive decision making. He's tracking back probably a little too often, rather than kind of staying in front of the play. But his range is tremendous, um, and, and it can make up for a lot, especially getting to guys on the wing if we're pushing up our wing backs. But I, I still I just don't see any solution to this if you have that back line. But but we can make subs in that too. It's not like we don't have any defenders. Um, my good performance was Damari Gray. He just seemed like he was in the groove at this point and just kind of picking up where he left off from Man City. Constantly dangerous. I, I don't really blame him for being off on the Coleman play. It looked like Coleman fed him the ball way earlier than he was expecting. Granted, Gray doesn't play necessarily as fast as you'd like him to, but he's rarely offside. I mean, normally he's coming back to the ball and on the ball. Every time he got the ball, man, you were backing off. I mean, you could tell he was feeling it, and and that helps in possession, too. It's not just, and we've said this in the pod, he's so close to scoring early. Uh, the cross is fantastic. I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin didn't have to do anything. It literally went right off him. Um, he had one shot on target, like we said before, two shots, two successful dribbles, two for two in long passes. He actually was one for two in crosses. He actually looked okay on the right as well. I gave an honorable mention to to the moped, though. I actually thought he was very good. He didn't turn the ball over once. And that's a tough role for him to play. And Reich, that that's not an easy accomplishment considering how he was asked to play. Would you guys not agree? Yeah, I mean, it, what I found odd was, you know, I, I feel like I saw quite a few people on social media kind of slating his performance, which, I mean, to me, I was I, I watched his performance and the role that we asked him to play and obviously how, how it was going in regards to possession and, and the structure and how far back we were sitting. Um, I thought he did a phenomenal job, right? He, he had a lot of good interplay. He had a good touch. Um, he connected with teammates well when he's able to. Uh, all around, uh, definitely a good shout out for uh, you know for for another player. Well, right, and I'll, I will say this: he basically created the goal. But notice when he did it; it's when we had the ball just for a couple seconds in the final third, and he found space. That is his gift: his timing of his runs, his space. He muffs some shots, no question about it. He's actually pretty good on the break too, not as the target guy. So if we're going to play that 3-5-2, you can play him up there with Dominic Calvert-Lewin at times if you want. I mean, there there's some options there in that type of formation. I was encouraged by his play today. Yeah, I was too. And uh, as you said, Alex, you know, some people were calling for Ellis Sims at halftime. Like, we won't even, like, go into it, but it's just it just shows you, you know. Even if they didn't watch this. They would have said that even if they didn't watch the game. You know, it's stuff. Those that that group of people just need to go keep it. I mean, their opinions are really completely absurd. They're not based on any logic or objectivity at all. LSMs is a panic button option. If we have no, you're not going to sub him off for for Mopai unless there's something wrong or we don't have another another striker. I, I to, hope to it's a broadhead off. situation. I, I hope we recalled him from loan to sell him because we need the cash. I think he's going to Ipwich. I think that's that. That's the word. That's the word on the street. Yeah, so, I've seen that too. So yeah, I don't know what kind of fee you're going to get out of that though, but anything will help, I think. And and good for him. You know, I mean that that was the point, right? Bring him back for a year, send him on loan, hopefully get him sold. Someone expressed interest, take the money and run, right? Definitely. And uh, let's get into the bads because there were some bads, no question about it. Ryan, you can lead us off. I mean, uh, us three, we kind of just went along the back line clearly here. I'm going to pick Cody. He scored great, uh, and I, he deserves some credit for the effort on that one. But, I mean, he he kept the play on side for, for the first goal. I, I mean, the guy is playing back in almost a free roll in the middle of a three. He had only one tackle, only one clearance. How on earth is that possible? Like... I feel like we're in office space. Like, what is it that you would say you do here exactly? <laughs> like, he's the guy that would tell Tarkowski or Ben Godfrey to, like, run down and give the specs to the engineers. <laughs> and he'd ask, so right. you actually deliver? Well, no. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's just, I, I, you can't, look, we're conceding goals for a good reason, all right? And, and you guys are going to hit some of the other players on there. We, he can't, we can't play him. I'm sorry, we just can't. We can't. The numbers are so overwhelming at this point. And I know he's good on the ball, but it's just not going to matter unless we're going to be on the ball the whole match. And even then, I'm terrified for us guys to play because he'll get exposed in space. I, I just... So, so totally agree. And I, I'm sorry, James, I have to go out of, out of order because with the office space example, I felt like, you know, I was thinking my bad was Mikalinko, and I immediately thought that's Michael Bolton fighting with the printer because that was his experience today. Just kicking the printer, uh, two key passes. Yeah. Two, two key passes, which is confusing because, you know, we were kind of all like, I don't remember uh, what those were. Right. Um, so I don't know how key they were, but 79% pass accuracy. It's Okay. You know, only two clearances for defensive actions, which I find very uh, interesting. Kind of to your same points, Ryan, about Cody not really being involved that way. I mean, it's not a secret. He got, you know, rinsed on numerous occasions. Um, he left Anthony at the back post for the first goal, as we mentioned. Um, you know, I think I think we're getting to the point where we really need to see, you know, McNeil or Vinagre, you know, in the back five on the left. You know, obviously the, the general sentiment is, and I've probably subscribed to the fact that we should stick with this current formation, especially now that we have, you know, more center backs healthy than just two, uh, other than Michael Keane, of course, and uh, especially since Awobi's out, right? Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some coherence, and I, I I agree that with play time, players will get better together in terms of, um, you know, just as a unit. But I mean, there was a play at one point where he had the ball in advanced position. He kind of made a dribble or two, and literally just fell down. And yeah, you just that was so bad. I know. And you're just sitting there thinking like, oh, my heaven. I mean, look, he is very much the player we described when when we did the pod on these guys in January. Um, we paid 18 million pounds for this guy. He was the most expensive left back, I think, in all of football last year. I, I could be wrong. I mean, Cucurea, more than Dean, more than we paid for Dean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good great. I think that what Brighton paid for about that same amount and sold him for how much to Chelsea and even better improved with the stupid who absolutely killed us last week. So you just see that he just lacks the athleticism. And I think that's always going to hold him back. And we knew that um, there may be a scenario in which in a back four, he might be okay. Uh, but as a wing back, I'm just not seeing it, you know, and, and um, I agree. I mean, I, I think you, you really should look at McNeil or Vinagre depending on the situation. I mean, I, I just don't, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, not to continue to pick on the back line, but I'm going to do exactly that. And it brings me no joy to criticize this player. And I feel like every time I criticize him, you have to preface it with, oh, he's been a great servant to the club and da-da-da-da-da. It's Seamus Coleman. I can't even really be upset. I just matter-of-factly want to say he was really bad today. He has to play, basically. I mean, you could play Ben Godfrey out there and maybe use Coleman as like a right center half, potentially. But... My question is, why did we attack down the right so much? And why was Seamus Coleman so often our furthest player forward? I mean, he was chasing down balls through, like, over the top, trying to win them in the opposition box on numerous occasions. He did have three tackles and two aerials, but we hit it a couple times already. He got exposed over and over again by Marcus Rashford. It's just a matchup that you're sending him in that's just, he's never going to be able to win that. Um, and, and, you know, we talked so much this season about teams attacking a lot down our right-hand side with Patterson in. Well, Coleman's in for the foreseeable future. Buckle up. Patterson has been so bad since the break, too. I I didn't think we could necessarily get much worse. Um, we have a problem here, and I know it's been a problem for a while. Sadly, Brands had it solved, but, you know, Rafa knew better, of course. Um, I, <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but... Do we get it right back in the window? I, I think you could make an argument. You could honestly make an argument. It's our worst position. I mean, I, I thought Patterson maybe had gotten to the point where he was a manageable right back. Manageable. But Coleman, we knew, is, has been past it. I'm not so sure he is. I mean, I, I don't want to, like, spend money on more of a veteran because that's kind of insulting to Seamus. But ultimately... If you can get someone cheap who's 29, 28, as much as you don't want to do it, that's better than those guys, you might want to entertain it because they may need to stick around for a year or two. We're, we're not going to go big and buy like an elite one as long as Patterson's there. It just everything points back to that January window being truly exactly what you get when you don't have football people making decisions and thus sack the board.
Well, you know, I ask myself, why is Seamus Coleman, how old, 34 now? Why is he chosen to be the most advanced wingback as opposed to Mikalenko? And the answer, based on what we saw today, is very simple, is that Mikalenko, Frank Lampard thinks Mikalenko going forward is worse than 34-year-old Seamus Coleman, right? And if that's what we got out of Coleman, then you might be onto something. But, you know, really the problem is, and, and not to drag on either about the Ducore thing, right? Like, if you really look at, at our options and, and, you know, at least the, the rumors that we've got circulating in terms of outgoings, I mean, Ducore is probably going to be the only guy that really fetches us any sort of actual cash, um, so I think that's going to be an interesting situation in regards to, you know, can you afford to let Ducore know? It seems like the ATP is saying probably not, but at the same time though, I mean, can you afford to not sign other players and do you need that money? I mean, I can make a laundry list of people that I would sell before him. Uh, I mean, of course, but it doesn't mean <laughs> and, and we have young offers players too. and young players. That's true. That's true. I mean, someone like Anthony Gordon, I, I just think that ship has sailed obviously. Um, yeah, well, I mean, who knows? I mean, that, that's. Not arguable, though. I mean, n- no question. But but look, okay. The bottom line is still, summary-wise, Manchester United's XG is a little bit inflated here because of the penalty. But if they don't get the penalty, do we actually win the XG tonight? Like, is that we had better chances? So Frank kind of said that after the match, and I thought about that. I was like, is that true? Because, you know, the goal was waved off, so that doesn't really count. I don't remember us having tremendous chances, but then I think about it, I'm like, Mikalenko really... I mean, that was a sitter, man. I know it was on his right foot, maybe got deflected, but you had another play where DeCorey found a running Godfrey in the box, which you could argue maybe should have crossed it. I didn't mind the decision. It was just the touch was brutal. I mean, I guess United didn't really create a whole lot after about that big chance in the 16th, so... I mean, is there some hope here, guys? I mean, do we think going to that back three is is possibly the way forward like we might have a little bit of glimmer of hope i mean do you feel better now we have some listener comments that i think make some interesting points to that effect yes yeah, so we'll start off with norcal toffee five at the back seems to be the best path forward for us getting a little tired of moral victories as we still lost 3-1 if frank isn't trying to save his job with this match Awobi likely rests and doesn't get hurt looked better than we did against brighton but struggling to be optimistic um pretty fair to say and obviously you know the the Iwobi thing really is, you know, what what shapes this to be a huge punch in the gut, right? I don't know that most fans expected a, a huge result here at all, but especially away at United, um, but that one really hurt. So we'll we'll yeah. obviously see. Can we get a couple more comments and then we'll kind of open the floor for the discussion? We had a B, C, Gross. The back five seems to be the formation that we need to use, but Yeri's inclusion would be beneficial. It's also a shame that Awobi's injury will likely mean that we need to replace his creativity in addition to needing another winger in the window. More nervy days ahead. And last comment we had, Evram Bilson at Bill Evram. Playing first-teamers in a third-round cup game is playing with fire, but what can our board expect if you tell the manager his job depends on it? A shower of blank from all involved. I'll let you fill it in. Get well soon, Awobi. Well, the funniest part about that is, is we were talking about it. Like, it's so preposterous to suggest that, you know, the big issue here is going down because it could completely derail the entire club. Um, I think that's the more pressing urge than the FA Cup. I'll get to the math calculation on that one in a second. But that's the sad part. Like, no board or anyone in their right mind would ever say, you better get a result here, Frank, or else you're gone. But we're so inept at times that you almost believe it, right? I mean, no other place would you ever, you just dismiss it. It's crazy. But I mean, do we think that's why Frank played such a strong squad tonight? I mean, so so his answer, right, in the pre-match, pre-match press conference, right, he explained it in his reasoning because he did indicate, in my opinion, that he was going to play a strong team at that point. And he kind of said, hey, you can't be played off the pitch to the extent that we did against Brighton and then not take the opportunity to bounce back. You know, I think his, at least his, his, uh, public statement. That sounds like code. Yeah. His, pub- his, like pa- code his public you? statement was let's, let's get the mentality right before this uh, two week break. But you know, we'll see. It's just ridiculous that it, it's so ridiculous, but this board, anything is possible. And it feels like we talked about it a little bit off air, that they would try to force his hand or really just let things get so bad that they can let Frank take the fall for it. Um, and it really, if at this point 
you don't have enough evidence or confidence in your judgment to make a decision, why is one additional game that is ultimately meaningless? We're not winning the FA Cup. Why would that sway your opinion one way or the other? Unless you're just like, okay, well, we don't, we literally don't have anyone to appoint as an interim manager, so we just need to keep keep Frank on while we search for a replacement. Like, is he? Do you believe in the guy or not? It's not like, a, oh, we need one more game against United away in the cup to decide if this is the guy that we want to continue with for the next three years. What type of rationale is that? The exact kind that an incompetent in a board like ours would would use yeah i just think of how performance management's supposed to be done in the real world as someone that's done quite a bit of it i mean you have standards you have goals you have objectives for anyone that ever works for you my issue is who the heck's delivering that to him and ultimately it comes down to the football structure so if you don't have a, a director of football that's kind of over kevin you know kevin's over frank if you don't have that situation then they're kind of this two-headed monster and normally you have a football person over top of those because it's the manager and the head of recruitment and the director of football sits over them and he or she is the liaison to the board. We don't have that. So who manages between those two? Like people point to the recruitment, which is maybe more the remit of the director of football than the manager. And then others point to the manager in terms of performance. So is that Bill? Like is Bill or Denise the one that's overseeing them? And this is a football discussion. Do they have the background to do that? So I, I don't. What are, I mean, and at this point, there's enough of a body of work here where that decision should be obvious. Has he met his performance goals or not? I mean, it's not, there shouldn't be any surprise. There shouldn't be speculation on it. He should know where he stands. But, but for me, for me, I think clearly the pressure from the board would, would be the reason why the lineup was. So remember last year, Brentford match, right? Meaningless FA Cup. Again, people get mad when I say that. All I mean is, there's no way, I think it's very minimal chance of us winning the FA Cup. So it's if it's like under 1%, I know playing the strongest guys will hurt our chances in the league. It may not be a ton. Some people are like, no, you'll gain momentum and confidence. I, I don't hogwash. That goes away the first touch to me in almost every match. Um, that's about the setup. And, and, and I mean, that's what a manager is supposed to do. It's called man management. So to me, I just think that that calculus is if you know it's going to hurt you in the league, why are you taking the risk for the incredibly unlikely scenario that you might win the trophy? Even worse, if you win, you play even more matches, and that's going to compromise your ability to play in the league anyway. So I'm not saying it's meaningless. The FA Cup is meaningless. I love the FA Cup. I'd probably rather win the FA Cup than the league. I think it is such a cool tournament and such a cool trophy. But I don't think that's the right decision. So last year in the Brentford game, what happened? We had a resounding 5-1 win. And what? Godfrey went down, who we needed, who had just come back, basically. Mina had to go in for him. And then what did, what did we do? We started Mina three days later and he got hurt. We never have had to play if we were smart about who we played, but we had to win the league match. It was like the biggest match of the year, right? Wasn't it like the Newcastle match or I, I just, these are the types of things that you really should learn. So, okay. Plays a stronger t lineup, but I, I still am skeptical of that. I don't think that's the right decision. And, and I got to believe that Frank, if truly his goal was to stay up, and I think that's the way more important thing, I think he would have played a different lineup. I'd love to hear your thoughts, gentlemen. I, I don't see any real real way to disagree with that. I mean, it's clear we put a lineup out there tonight to go and win the match. And uh, we came up woefully short, and we lost Alex Awobi for who knows how long. He got stretchered off. You know, the replay, it, it looked like an ankle roll, an ankle sprain. We, we'll, we'll see what the diagnosis is. Regardless, he's one of our best, most creative players in a team that is completely inept at being creative and attacking. So you're not going to replace him with anyone in the squad. You can't replace his production. So what do we do now without we're worse at creating than we already are? Well, we're already borderline bottom of the league in, in creativity and in goal scoring. I just don't understand why you would take that risk. And, you know, Alex was going all loud in the hustle. It was a kind of a nasty challenge, but... You can't you can't always play like assume that guys are going to get injured, but you also need to risk mitigation is a big part of the role and the job. And I don't think we did that effectively tonight at all. And it's going to cost us. There's no question that this is going to cost us some points in my mind. So put out this stat tonight, which I think is pretty fun in all competitions for Everton. First of all, I hate assists and, you know, it's a stupid stat, but I'm going to use it anyway to make a point. Um, Alex Wobie has six assists for Everton in all competitions. Guess who's second, and how many do they have? Jordan Pickford with one. Think about that. We have six. The rest of the team has six. 
Alex Iwobi has as many assists as the rest of the team in all comps. Even worse, the next best assist total is one. (laughs) He has six times more assists than anyone else on the team. So look, if you're going to play a strong team, I'm okay with that. But there are a couple individuals that you cannot risk injury. We didn't start Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Wise. We didn't start Yerry Mina. Wise. These are absolutely critical players. Alex Wobie's every bit as critical as those guys in this setup. I'm not saying he's a better player. I'm just saying he's every bit as critical. And I, I just... I just question that a lot, especially if you would have set up a certain way, maybe you could play DeCorey in there and, and you would have been fine too. And so that's just my take. Some people disagree with it, but it's not because I hate the FA Cup or anything like that. That bothers me. No one's saying that. We're just doing the calculus. We think staying in the league is most important because it's catastrophic if we're not. And I think that actually is looking almost likely at this point. Any, any degree that Im- improves our chances of staying in the league, I think you have to take that over the minuscule chance of winning the FA Cup. That's it. That's all. Yeah, I mean, you, you've both said it you know, nicely, and I think uh, just to wrap it up, and I maybe from a tactical discussion, but kind of going back to our, you know, what do we do about the wingback situation? I think it's really clear at this point in time, based on who we have left in midfield, you know, assuming, you know, Alex Wobie is even out midterm, let's say, if we guess, you know, two, four, six weeks, doesn't matter. Um, you know, with the current shape, it's not like we're going to need all of our wingers that we have. Like, you know, like I mentioned, McNeil and Gordon, I think, are are poised to be able to play wing back in certain scenarios. And it becomes pretty clear based on what we saw today and when we were at our best that the wing back position is where our creativity is going to have to come from in a lot of uh, instances. So almost have to. right? Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to. You know, I think I think that, you know, we're not getting enough from, you know, those players that I mentioned in a forward role or a more forward role, let's say. So you may as well use them to their strengths. Let them focus on building up play. Um, you know, finding, you know, spots on the back post. Um, otherwise, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, especially over the next week and a half or so. They should have enough support, too, to have some freedom going forward. I mean, you've got a mostly defensive-oriented midfield. You're going to play three center halves. They should have freedom. You know what I mean? They should, you know? So, um, and, you know, it may be more traditional than I'm sure Frank would like to play. I mean, I don't want to see his hoofing balls into the box like crazy. But, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is as good in the air as anyone. Uh, the problem is if he goes down, what do you got? That that kind of, it, you know, you're reliant basically on his presence to, to play that way unless you go get another center forward. And we already have Sims, Mope, and, and um, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And we'd be borderline setting the record for the Premier League for the amount of center forwards, which is problematic. But it is what it is. So, so okay, we've said our piece. Final word. The referendum. We said before, that's got to happen now, right? It has to happen now, I would think. Watch it not happen now, of course. Um, Frank, stay or go. And, and again, the reason why it has to be now is we have to do recruitment. And loans in particular, those two, I mean, that, that is very much contingent on, on the manager you're going to be playing for. You can, you can buy players that are a little different. That's a little different. James, Alex, thoughts? I mean, this is do or die time. This is what a board is and senior decision makers are in theory paid to do. And to me, prolonging the decision, just waiting for the next blowout loss or catastrophic getting derailment is, is not the solution. We had a couple really good listener comments. Call me Nash at Astro and Toffee said sacking the manager is a deflection of responsibility by the board. Further, what manager of quality would now willingly work for this group of incompetence? Harshly worded, but you'd be hard-pressed to get me to say that that's not totally fair. Um, and and I think, you know, there's some very interesting stuff going on in the fan base directed towards the board above the manager, but it just, I, I don't think you can be so reactionary as to have anything trend on one or two defeats. We know how bad it's been for the last several months, and really, honestly, bar the end of last season, since Frank Lampard was hired, we've been pretty bad. Well, well, so I, you've got the evidence. I think part of the problem is a lot of people don't think the evidence is there. They don't realize truly how bad we are. And I think this is this is part of a problem with and look, I love our listener base because I think we have a little different conversations than some other people have. And maybe that's the use of stats, but I, I think we're more willing to discuss things, I think, in a little bit different way. I think I, I take a lot of pride on that in the pod. I think we take different angles on things and not intentionally. I just think part of it's kind of how we're wired and maybe it's that we're Americans. I don't think that's really it, though, because we have a healthy group of individuals from all over the place that we interact with. 
But for me, like you still have people out there saying our defensive record's good. Like number one, you, you got to be blind as a bat to not see that we have real problems in our own end. But all the metrics point to us having the worst defense in the league. The only ones that point to us not having it is goals. And I mean, no one uses that in modern football to predict the future or gauge where you're at because they're too frequent an event and there's too much luck. And, and anyone could decompose those numbers, too, and f- figure out very quickly that a lot of us conceding goals is Pickford playing out of his tail and very much the other team being very unlucky in hitting the goal. And, and so I think if you know that within context, you might feel a little differently about this club um, and, and its performance, because, I mean, I think it's been a train wreck from from literally game one this year, but others think differently. Yeah, I mean, Jackson at Jackson underscore Bugle, um, he kind of gave the opposing view, and he said, does that cement Lampard going, though? Because I thought we looked okay today and better with a back three, That, but that could cement him going in terms of, obviously, the rumors. Um, you know, from my point of view, the way I see it, we've got a little over three weeks till, you know, the window shuts. Everyone knows business is harder in January, which means that speed is is is, is extremely important. Um, speed is hampered also by our, our issues financially. I know, you know, some people throw it around. I haven't dug into the details, but, you know, some people mention, hey, even the decision to sack Lampard and hire someone else is big financially in regards to what you have to work with. That could be a possibility or a factor in their mind, too. Um, all these things play together. All I know is that they have to make a decision soon. Um, they can't keep kicking the can down the road. And I, you know, I think personally that Lampard, it's probably time to go. But I'm also going to be really, really frustrated with the timing of it because, you know, this feels like a let's sell Luca Dean three days before firing Benitez, right? Um, why why are you going to wait, you know, through a six-week World Cup when you could have given the man, you know, a new manager a, a lot of time to work with players, um, even a fragmented squad at that point? Um, you know, now you're going to waste, let's say, we'll wait for two more matches and, and bin him off. It, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's crazy one year on from that en- entire fiasco that we are staring down the barrel of a very, very similar situation. Same thing. Just a hesitancy to do what needs to be done for the betterment of the club. And waiting every day you wait makes the decision potentially more harmful and dangerous to the club's survival in this league. So if the result, okay, we looked okay against Manchester United. We still lost 3-1. Okay, that's probably a flattering scoreline. So what? If we beat Southampton, then he's safe. If we don't, then he's gone. Then that's just another week of time wasted, and that's utterly pointless and uh, a waste of everyone's time. I mean, how, how do you get through negotiations with any players at all when they don't even know who the prospective manager is going to be, right? I mean, realistically right now, I mean, if they haven't even made a decision, it's going to be at least another week. Even if they pull the trigger tonight that you get a guy signed up, you know, you get through his discussions too. It's just uh, it, it's an issue for us, to be uh, frank. And you need Fun the intended. players for that match. Uh, you know what, though? We do that all the time because I mean, it's going to be frank. I mean, you need the players for that match. And that match is massive. I mean, that's... I don't... It's, we need the players from day one. I mean, really. And we need the players for this match. I mean, it would have been a great match to get people involved and starting to get up to speed. And, and, um, and Alex, to your point, I mean, that's why you got to make that decision sooner rather than later. I think the other big concern that people have, and I think it's a rightful one, is who makes the decision if he goes to replace him. Because if it's going to be the board, for me, the only situation in which I would feel good about it, other than just praying for dumb luck, is that if Thelwell made the decision and they said, you go, it's your football, and you pick the manager, and you make it work. You haven't even named your head of recruitment yet. And and you've got your entire staff and you go forth. That's the only way in the world that I think it makes sense. Otherwise, who do we think is going to be on that list? I mean, we've seen the candidates' names that are already out there, right? I mean, Roberto Martinez? Are you kidding? It's the list we talked about last time. It's the most He's utterly the best predictable, the bunch, recycled names that, you would, that anyone who's been associated with Everton or even tangentially followed us for the last five years could pull out of their butt at a moment's notice it's those same names two managers who we used to have and the one guy who has a good reputation uh for playing route one football that might keep us up it's so predictable but it wouldn't surprise me if that is in fact a short list um but we will see how the situation unfolds because things can change very fast there's a lot of 
fan frustration and anger, a lot of momentum building for some fan groups, which we hope to touch on in an episode later this week. Before we wrap, gentlemen, any final words? No, just, uh, you know, as you mentioned, look out for an episode talking about, you know, the fans forum letter and, and the alternate together now, uh, you know, the hashtag altogether now letter to Farhad Moshiri. That'll be a good conversation for sure. All right, guys. That's no, going to do it. For- nothing on my end at all. <laughs> I think we've said our piece for sure. And uh, I think I would anticipate some movements or some things to happen this week. And we'll stay with you at the American Toffee Podcast and uh, keep everyone abreast, up to date, and continue the dialogue. And thank you very much for our listeners for their contributions because the show would be absolutely nothing without them and i probably would have lost my sanity a long time ago amen to that thanks everyone for listening we appreciate you all if you appreciate us just a little bit it would help us out a lot if you'd leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice again social media links in the description of this episode link tr.ee slash usa toffee pod join our discord invite.gg slash atp otherwise we'll be with you next time until then up the toffees and sack the board (laughs) 